Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I'm joined by my sister Kay Kellum, and we are going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the Star Wars trilogy, and in this case, it's the prequel trilogy. Uh, so we're starting with The Phantom Menace. We have already gone through the original trilogy, New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. And they may get spoiled in the process of spoiling this trilogy because it's hard to discuss this one without talking about the other one. Absolutely. We may also spoil uh, Star Wars books, comics, video games, or anything else we may happen to know. And this movie came out in 1999. Correct. It was, again, the first of the prequels. There was a lot of, of anticipation around it. And it came to kind of mixed reactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people uh, really liked a lot of it. There were certain parts that uh, universally seemed to be not so well liked. There was at least one character that was just universally disliked. There was at least one actor choice that people questioned. Um, well, the, the character they didn't like was Jar Jar. And it was as much because he was uh, multiple reasons. First off, he was hard to understand at times. Mm-hmm. He was seen as rather cliche or, or not cliche, but you know what I mean. Um, when stereotypical almost. People felt that he was a poor representation of a percentage of our culture. Well, and he was also aimed for the kids. Yeah. And he just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, I did find him a little hard to understand in places in this film. But for the comedic relief, he was an interesting character. And to a degree, he was, in terms of plot role, kind of the stand-in for C-3PO. Yeah, well, it's funny because when I originally saw the movie in the theater, just a year or two before that, I'd worked in the Caribbean Mm -hmm. for eight months. I found him easier to understand when I originally saw it. If you're more used to that speaking style, I can definitely understand that. You know, but it also, to me, emphasizes that it wasn't a dialect within America that he was pulling from. But for me, it was very much a Caribbean style of just everyday speech and not not a demographic of it, if you will, but it was most of the people in the Caribbean I encountered. Absolutely. And I think the trade delegation... Um, was uh, pretty uh, uh, slammed at times for a bad depiction of Asians. Mm. Which, again, I would like to think that the the creators of the movie were not like, hmm, let's slam this ethnicity with this character. I, I don't yeah. think that was their plan. No. But uh, I can see how people got that out of it, which is unfortunate. Now, which actor did you think was, misca- was uh, not so well liked? The one that I had heard a lot of people saying couldn't they have done better with was the one who played Anakin. And there were one or two times where I sat there thinking, you know, I wish they'd they'd done one more take or actually one less take because it kind of felt like this poor kid has had so many takes of this scene done that he's having a hard time getting excited and screaming yippee with enthusiasm. I actually thought he did a really good job. And for... 
99% of the movie, so did I. I really don't know why people were so hard on him. Because this kid was how old when they shot this? Uh, 10 or 11? Yeah. So yeah. he, I think, did a, a, a very good job. I'm curious what he's going on to do since then. That's an interesting question. And I mean, some of the scenes where, and the one that popped out at me is, okay, maybe this is one of the scenes that made people say that. It was in the uh, junk shop, and he was having to work off of a, a CG character. He did reasonably good with that, and that's a tough job to do. It is. There were a few like, okay, this is pod racing, and a few th- lines like that that I think they wanted to come across as kind of those moments in the film and didn't because it felt forced. Yeah. And, you know, I think he also gets saddled with, we're spending so much time pod racing, or him accidentally blowing up the robot control center or whatever in the ship and stuff mm-hmm. you know the accidental hero whatever i think that rubbed people the wrong way yeah um he's done some video game voices which were mostly star wars and he was young angelo in an episode of the pretender he did well more than one he was in he was young angelo in about five episodes of pretender okay angelo but- in that show the pretender uh, lasted four seasons, was about a basically a genius who could just kind of absorb a, a way of life or whatever, become a paramedic or whatever, mm-hmm. and was just finding his way. And Angela was one of the other people in the program that was, I'm trying to think what his, he was, um, uh, had social interaction issues. I'm trying to think what other gifts he had, though, because he was special in some yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the kid did do more acting, though, beyond yeah. just this. Not I, a lot, but some, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, child actor, it's a tough, tough thing. It's very difficult. And like I said, the one scene that I thought, you know, either one more or one less take, it was against a CG character. And I think any actor who can act against either a green screen or a blank space does an amazing job. Well, I think it's it's one thing to do it against a blank space or a green screen, but another to do it against a virtual actor, a virtual character. Mm-hmm. And this one had a ton of them. Yeah. Not only Jar Jar, all the the droids, the 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 robot droid type stuff, the uh, most of the other pod racers. Yes. Were uh, were that way. The owner of Anakin was uh, a virtual character, and there were a couple of times it's like, okay, this is clearly CG, or there were some compositing things. But by and large, uh, they did a, a terrific job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, personally, I love the. Um, the Gungans versus the the uh, uh, the army surface. Droids. Oh, okay. I was gonna say the surface dwellers of Nubu versus the Gungans and the cultural differences. I liked. Uh, well, for me, the battle scene though at the end, yes. where you've got two you know CG armies going at it, mm-hmm. and it feels real. There's a physics to it. There's um just a uh, uh, this had some of the better fight choreography for mass battles yeah i was able to follow what was going on there without getting lost it was a clear set of of you know who was going after who when what the direction of of the armies was moving well and the shield around the gungan army being an another use if you will of the shield they used to protect the underwater cities mm-hmm. i really like that well in using it kind of as it's an energy shield, but physical objects can go through. Mm-hmm. You know, and we got that both in terms of in the uh, the underwater city in that fight uh, um, between the two armies, 
but also when Anakin's taking out the uh, control ship at the end. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, there were deflectors and stuff in the original uh, trilogy, but this one had much more Star Trek-like shields. Yeah. And part of it is you can just do the technology now, so that's part of it. Yeah. But in addition to the big, massive ones that the army had, uh, the handheld ones mm-hmm. that had almost like that bamboo, you know, uh, edge to them was kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Yeah. And then the kind of anti-robot or anti-droid, uh, uh, it seemed like water uh, balloons or whatever. Yeah. You know, energy splatters or whatever they call them. And that's one of the things is they just don't name most of the stuff in these films. Yes, that's very Which true. is fine. It'd be a little annoying if they paused every few minutes and just, you know, put a, a subtitle of, you know, this is a blaster, blah, 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 blah model. Yeah. Speaking of the blasters, once again, we get the grappling hook yes. scene near the end. Yes. And apparently, grappling hooks were built into blasters in Naboo. Yes, that was very, very clever blaster design. And the fact that like half a dozen or nearly a dozen people can do synchronized uh, grappling yeah. hook maneuvers. That was very nice. I can see when you've got a city that's built on the edge of these huge cliffs and waterfalls. I guess their guys could fall over, you know, the edge once in a while and need the grappling hook to save themselves. Of course, you pull out your gun, you've got it on the wrong setting, and you're sitting there shooting the the embankment you're trying to to hook onto. So it could be counterproductive. The other thing I noticed is, while the level of droid technology is pretty much the same between this film and the original trilogy, uh, the starship designs were radically different. Uh, In the Naboo area... They're more uh, sleek, aerodynamic, Mm. almost teardrop-shaped sort of a thing. But still no crew quarters. Anakin was just kind of sleeping out in the common uh, dining room area. Yeah. Uh, The other difference is the the color scheme. That royal one is just like mirror surface. Very true. And just incredibly shiny and such. And I think that was intentional to show that this was uh, the bright, clean age of, of the Empire, or the, the Republic, actually, mm-hmm. before things got dirty and soiled and, and, and just covered with, with dirt, rust, and, and grime in, in the Empire. Corruption, yeah. Yeah. So there's that visual metaphor going on. Mm-hmm. We get Qui-Gon. We get Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon may be my favorite Jedi ever. To me, he just, in so many ways, epitomizes the Jedi Master that we've been told to watch for. And we get to see him being so many of the great qualities of the Jedi Master. He certainly had a great role in this film. It was a a fairly final ending uh, when he died. And he's certainly a uh, a good example of an ideal Jedi. Um, I think Obi-Wan's interesting... Because he's one of the few that we see from Padawan to Jedi Knight to Jedi Master or whatever at the end. But to Jedi Master to kind of gives up, goes and becomes a hermit, turns his back on the Force possibly and possibly is overlooking how Luke is growing up. But we aren't really sure on that. I, I was pretty sure he was keeping an eye on Luke. He was doing his thing, but he was undercover. The Jedi clearly in the the original uh, trilogy were in hiding out of necessity. Yeah. But then the the question is, what was their game plan? Mm -hmm. If the events of A New Hope hadn't happened, were they just going to wait? Yeah. 
Whereas, you know, we're at a totally different time here. Qui-Gon has an entire council to kind of uh, be running, a, I don't say a muck against, but you know what I mean. Well, to get advice from, to be held accountable by. But Qui-Gon also... Well, and to defy when he felt like it. He feels a need and a calling to do what he believes is right. Mm-hmm. And what the Force tells him is right, such as the Force is strong in Anakin and he needs solid guidance from a dedicated Jedi Master or things could go wrong for him. When people tell him his future is clouded in reference to Anakin, he doesn't doubt that. But what he sees is, yes, and he needs a good role model. Well, when you've got a bunch of of Jedi Masters saying, this kid is incredibly powerful with the Force, he's untrained, and we don't know what his future is going to be, and he could be pivotal to the fate of the universe, the galaxy. Let's guide him down the path we want him to go down, is Qui-Gon's answer. Now, the only reason Obi-Wan takes on the role of guiding him is sense of obligation and promise to Qui-Gon. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of, he saw something in him, I don't see it, I trust mm-hmm. Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's it's more out of obligation. So I think it's a different dedication to the training than Qui-Gon would have had. It is, but I think it also goes further than Qui-Gon would have done. Interesting. Suppose Anakin didn't become Darth Vader and... Th- Mm-hmm. The, the bad path doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. He would have trained Anakin. Anakin would have become a Jedi, gone off, had his own adventures, etc. Mm-hmm. At which point, Qui-Gon would have been done with his, his obligation, I think. What happens with Kenobi? Obi-Wan not only trains this guy, sees him goes up against, you know, become mm-hmm. Darth and stuff, but then takes responsibility for his kids. Mm-hmm. So he's got a whole another generation. But doesn't he take responsibility for the kids because he feels guilty about what happens in the rest of the prequel trilogy? Almost certainly. But going to your earlier point of had he turned his back on the Force, etc., I think he'd gone above and beyond. So, again, in hiding and... Yeah, yeah. Not not attacking the Empire, but that had already proven to be a, a not-so-good plan. Yeah. As this this trilogy will attest to. The fact that uh, Obi-Wan and, and Yoda survive for the, the original trilogy is impressive. It is. You know, I think that the Anakin we meet in this movie explains to me why Luke thought he could reach his father. Mm-hmm. Why he thought there was good in Anakin Skywalker. Oh, absolutely. Anakin was good. There was no question about mm-hmm. that here. Yeah, and I'm glad that that's what we were presented with, that that's what we saw. That when a Jedi Master first met Anakin, he was undeniably a good, wholesome person who would do things for others with no expectation of reward. This is where the order the movies were written and produced in changes things significantly. If the prequel trilogy had happened first... Mm -hmm. The conversation we would have gotten between Luke and Ben Kenobi about Anakin would have, I don't want to say matched up better to the events we see Mm. here, but been able to reference them. Yes. You know, he's saying, ah, Luke, your father was a good pilot by the time I met him kind of a thing. Yeah. But glosses over the fact the kid was, what, eight or something when he met him. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, child prodigy sort of thing. Yeah. So it would 
be interesting to see what these movies would be like in a universe in which they kind of happened in in mm-hmm. numerical order versus yeah. the the release order. Well, at this point, what we see of Anakin and whether you call her Padme, Queen Amidala, whatever of their relationship, you know, Anakin has been taken away from his mother. And the only female showing him compassion, affection, etc. is Padme. Yeah. Well, and what I don't get is why, once they get back to Coruscant, they don't dispatch somebody to go get his mother. Mm. Well, the, um, the junk dealer had said he would not sell both of them. He said he wouldn't, that the, the, the pod racing thing, uh, the, the pod vehicle was not worth two slaves. Yeah. Not that he wouldn't sell both slaves. Yeah, and the question is, could they have come up with something other than Republic currency to go back and trade for her? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just something You've got that the entire they never Jedi thought. Council, if you can get them to buy in on it. If, if you're basically saying, let's not train the boy because he's afraid of what's going to happen to his mom. Mm-hmm. Well, take care of that fear. Take care of the mom. But isn't bringing the mom here into safety a crutch? Not necessarily. I mean, given the boy is so young, I agree with you. I'm just asking, could that be there? Get her a job on the the, the planet, have yeah. her earn her keep. I mean, it's... It, it feels like a forgotten plot thread. They will come back to it. Mm. Yeah, and probably in a horrific and tragic way that explains falling towards the dark side. Almost certainly. Because everything has to be a push you towards the dark side for Anakin. Well, yeah, because he's going to become Darth yeah. Vader. And that's another thing where knowing that colors how you go into these movies. Yes. Whereas if this were the first movie and yes. the others came later. Yeah, agreed. You know, it it's... Oh, I'm definitely finding myself watching this trilogy with the looking for the was Anakin good, what's pushing him towards the dark side, and where is the explanation for how princess leia becomes a princess and how did luke and leia happen yeah well there are also a few things that i think are easy to assume came from the first trilogy but came from from this movie the sith Mm. there's always a master and an apprentice on the sith Mm -hmm. and things of of that nature um because we learn a a fair amount about the the jedi Mm -hmm. uh, the padawans to begin with you know there are a lot of things that hardcore star trek fans uh consider part of of the uh crucial canon of the universe even while they sometimes blatantly dismiss the prequel trilogy as yeah it wasn't as good you know kind of Mm -hmm. thing and in some ways it isn't as pure or original as the, the 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 first trilogy but with every movie that comes out, that becomes harder and harder, I think. Definitely. But it was a strong movie. It had a strong through line, plot line, clear goals and motivations for the various characters, mm-hmm. clear where they were at odds and why they were at odds at times, mm-hmm. and a bit more epic scope. And part of that is just the technology facilitated it. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, you could not have done a, a planet that was a single city in the first, uh, the era of the first movies, mm-hmm. um, you could not have done the underwater city, the the droid army fighting the the Gungan you know, army. Yeah, the Gungan army. You, you just 
the technology as impressive as it was back then, nothing compared to what it was, you know, at the turn of the century when this was coming out. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we mentioned elsewhere, but as much as I don't like the uh, the midichlorians mm-hmm. or whatever that is, I did like a lot of their explanation and exploration of the Jedi what it is to be Jedi, the Jedi Council, mm-hmm. and that stuff. And we get some more of that in the next two films, you know, and sometimes just glimpses, um, which I, I really enjoy, you know, because it, in one of the next two films, we're going to see the Yoda training some of the younglings and stuff, just in passing. Mm-hmm. But again, that gives us a glimpse into what was this Republic like, What was it like to be a Jedi before all of that just got wiped out? And, of course, we get to see it get wiped out, too. And there's a certain amount of fun there, too. Yeah. Um, Because this predates the Empire, no stormtroopers. Very true. We had the droid army, but that's different in a great many ways. Um, The only real kind of, I don't even want to say equivalent to the stormtroopers, but that sort of militaristic uniformed individual would be the uh, the Naboo guard and um, and pilots, mm-hmm. and of course that's a very different look and stuff. That's almost more akin to the Imperial officers and such. Well, I was gonna say here the droid army was used the way the stormtroopers were used. It was, and you've got the the one make and model of droid, the Roger Roger, uh, which I just I I love that that uh, the look of the droids, the way they act. They're a lot of fun in the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. uh, the car- uh, animated series, which I've only seen bits and pieces of. I haven't seen it all. At some point, I'll probably pick that up either on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever and go through it. And so there's there's that make and model, and then there's the bigger uh, spherical ones that kind of roll into place and then have the legs pop out. I liked those. I liked those in so much as... You know, it's not just a lumbering, you know, thump, 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 let me roll into, you know, walk into place. It's they can get into, to, you know, down the corridor fast. Yeah, I liked it for clever design. It was the exact opposite reaction to uh, Interstellar, I guess. Yes. Where I was looking at their little robots going, who came up with this? Yeah, those were very blocky or whatnot. Blocky and looked like they wouldn't be able to move but then when we saw them move it's like okay that's cool you had to see them in action but typically a lot of the stuff in in star wars looks very cool Mm -hmm. well and those ones that rolled in here they had the uh the little force field big enough to have a personal force field Mm -hmm. which apparently is good enough for hand blasters but not for an actual small fighter craft yes and i think anakin was exactly right Qui-Gon told him to stay in the cockpit. He didn't tell him to keep the jet exactly where it was. Yes. A little unclear on that. That was a very important detail. Well, going with the blaster shields and stuff like that, it seems like there's some sort of power rating from, you know, hand blaster to death star. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious what that, that scale is. I'm pretty sure you don't ever want to run into a death star. I don't think I could. The scale is off. I'm not even sure. I'd, I mean, walking on one would be tough. Anyways. <laughs> what other characters did we have in here that were kind of... I mean, we get R2. And he's very much the R2 we've, we've always known. Mm-hmm. C-3PO uh, is complaining about his nudity. He's just being built. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's 
First off, Anakin is a slave. Yes. His mother's a slave. They have their own place. It's a decent-sized place. And Anakin has enough spare money and stuff to not only build a pod racing vehicle, but to build a protocol droid for his mother. Mm-hmm. Now, presumably, he scrounged or bought the brain part of it and is just building the, the casing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it's just a like a hobby-level sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like building a transistor radio or, you know, for maybe a generation back from us or uh, like a 3D printer today or something. Yeah. You know, not everyone's doing it, but if you're you're a techie or whatever, it's it's not hard to do. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, yeah. have the availability and such. Um, but not having, again, the, the, the outer covering and some stuff like that uh, was interesting. But he really, once we leave um, Tatooine... We we don't see him again. Mm-mm. So I'm going to be a little curious how they reintroduce him into the fold mm-hmm. um, in the next uh, in the next movie because I presume it's there. We had uh, Senator Palpatine. Yes, who's very much playing uh, Queen Amidala in using her to to elevate his role in the Senate to Chancellor, and we don't get. Other than a power-hungry politician, any real sense of motivation for him. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And she seems fairly savvy about how things work on Naboo. Mm-hmm. But she hasn't been around the Senate enough to have really any clue that he's playing her or what's going on there. She's deferring to his advice an awful lot. My theory on that is... Given the various handmaidens and such, you've got to figure that there is a select crowd that they would elect their queen from. Mm. And it could be that those are kind of the, the queens in training or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it even if not, it stands to reason she could have been around the queen on Naboo. And f- even if it's just through like a television sort of equivalent mm-hmm. and understood that power structure. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's the difference between how does the local city council work and how does Congress work? Yeah. And not just how does it work, but who's angling for what and and yeah. what's the power play going on there. But how long had Palpatine been in the Senate? Um and again, what what is his motivation? Well, and she clearly had no idea whether or not what was happening with the Trade Federation had anything to do with Senator Palpatine or if he would care one way or another about that. Well, he's... She believed him to be dedicated to their planet. Absolutely. And when the Trade Federation is dealing, we're reporting up, who do they think they're reporting to? Uh, someone on their side in a cloak with it pulled over Because I don't the think that character's ever named. So it, it's what will become the Emperor. Mm-hmm. They call him Master, as I recall. I'm curious it, if uh, in the other movies, before he, imp- you know, declares himself emperor, mm-hmm. you know, what that persona is, because that clearly, he's playing both sides. He's climbing up the ranks publicly as senator and chancellor, but then also has established a, a serious power base. Yeah. And it also begs the question as to, you know, does he have force powers at this point? Presumably, yes. But when he's working with the Trade Federation, he tells them, I'll handle the Senate. Yes. But not that he's handling it personally as a senator. True. But just, I will have that taken care of. Yeah. 
But, I mean, presumably he's got force powers, which is part of how he's been able to, to go up the ranks. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I am the senator you're looking for. Yes. But how did he come across uh, Darth Maul? Mm-hmm. Who was his master? Mm-hmm. You know, when he went up as an apprentice, or did he? Because mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like the bruiser type, you know? Yeah. You know, it seemed like if he's got force powers, which from the original trilogy we know the Emperor does, and the Jedi Council is scanning kids for, for this sort of ability, how did he get missed? When did they start scanning? True. It didn't seem like it was a new thing. Jedi well, Order had been around forever. Yeah, 700, 800 years, but he's also not the youngest of men, is all I'm saying. So, yeah. Uh, I'd put him as his normal human lifespan. Yeah, but I was thinking 45, 50. Yeah, it's just yeah unanswered questions. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, and the whole Sith thing, again, new with this film. So, you know, I don't know how much more insight into that we're going to get in the next two of this trilogy or in the the third trilogy well and they brought up the whole is anakin the chosen one who will balance the force Mm -hmm. you know and we talked before we podcasted about the fact that he does in a manner of speaking balance the force because he kills the emperor and he fathers luke and leia well, he fathers Luke and Leia, and then 20 years later kills the Emperor. Well, but yes, but my point was both accomplishments. Yes. Well, it, it, what does it mean to balance the Force? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and is he the Chosen or not? Really, we never get a clear sense of, of the prophecy other than the one or two lines uh, 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 Mace Windu, the Jedi, the unnamed Jedi <laughs> played by. Yes. Uh, Grant. Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel Jackson. Thank you. I was blanking on his name. I nearly said Nick Fury. Yeah, Nick Fury. Same guy. <laughs> um, again, it's one of those things. Half these characters go unnamed. Yeah. Well, I think that Luke Skywalker, in some respects, better epitomizes their prophecy of the Chosen One in terms of balancing the Force. He's able to conquer the dark side when... People are throwing temptations at him and trying to get him to go to the dark side. He's the one who manages to pull Anakin back from the dark side. Think about this in terms of the prophecy. Okay. What we hear is that there is a chosen one who will bring balance to the Force. Mm-hmm. We hear this from a Jedi mm-hmm. surrounded by Jedis. Mm-hmm. The Jedi Council's been around for hundreds. I mean, Yoda in the first movie said he'd been training Jedi for... 800 years. Mm-hmm. And they're also saying the Sith, they've been extinct for ages. Yeah, because they know so, so much. My point is, if the Force is out of balance, mm. is it out of balance on the side of good mm. or dark? Ooh. So is bringing balance to the Force, if it is tipped in the way of light, as we, I would think it is, mm-hmm. is that a good thing? Mm-hmm. Which means it's almost certainly Anakin is the one who brings balance to the Force because, spoilers, uh, in the f- next two movies, they're going to get the Jedi get wiped out and it becomes basically Master Apprentice. Hmm. Yeah. I'm really curious where the Jedi and Sith are in the future, the third trilogy. Hmm. Because we've got one Jedi in the form of Luke, a potential Padawan starting training way late in life with Leia. 
Yeah, but if you aren't supposed to start at age eight, like Anakin. Because that's too late. Yeah, poor Leia. But there's no, with the Emperor presumably dead, although we don't necessarily see him die. We see him fall in a flash of light. Mm -hmm. With uh, Anakin dead, there's nobody on the Sith side of things to continue that tradition. Somebody needs to kind of recreate it or something, Mm -hmm. which presumably is what's happening with the Emperor. Mm-hmm. In this film. Yeah. So there's, again, a lot to theorize on, a lot to speculate about, because there's a lot just not told. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Well, no, but they put so much into the movies while also leaving these openings. Well, and it's smart to leave some wiggle room for future trilogies, for other stories, for other writers. Mm-hmm. And it's not like most of these things had to be answered to understand the story. Yeah. They're questions that come out of the story, but it's it's not like I'm trying to think of what would be a good example of something where if, if you just don't it's not like you're 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 saying the butler did it in a mystery story and we're like, "Wait, who had a butler?" Yeah. Yeah. You know, or there are butlers in this world or you know whatever. Mhm. It's again, unanswered questions but not uh untold key elements of the story. Mm-hmm. And they did, again, a, a good job balancing the story, keeping it moving. As with any typical Star Wars film, we bounce between planets a couple of times. At one point, you flat out called out, and now we return you to your battle previously in progress. That was the other thing I wanted to mention. I was going to mention that earlier, but I forgot. In the pod racing scene, we go around forever, and this is not the point I'm making. It's building up to the point I'm making, so give me a minute. We go around the track at least the two or three times just so we can fully cover what that video game's going to look like. Yes. Okay, fine. Later, when they've gotten in back into the throne, the, the palace uh, in Naboo, we've got the two Jedi fighting Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. And Qui-Gon gets a, a little bit ahead of, of uh, Obi-Wan and stuff. Uh, Qui-Gon's chasing Darth Maul and stuff. They go down this hallway, and then suddenly these energy barriers start shutting for no apparent reason. Well, that was right after they were in the planetary power core. Either right before, or yeah, I guess it was right after. Um, and it's like, this is right off the hangar bay. Presumably, okay, a hydroelectric power maybe from the waterfalls or something. But give us some clue as to what this is. It was pretty. Long walkways with no railings. I've seen those before. It's a Star Wars trademark. And I get it. And it, They're not afraid of falling. Fine. Gravity works differently in this galaxy. I see that. I mean, I saw that when people were flying into the Death Star at the end of the first trilogy, straight in at a, you know, 90 degree f- angle to, to gravity, landing and then walking down. I mean, they're walking on what should be the walls, not the floor. Anyways, gravity works differently. But w- what are these sh- shutting energy barriers for? To separate it's for people. the video game. <laughs> well, and I love how Qui-Gon just kind of kneels and meditates while Darth Maul paces I love Darth Maul's pacing. I mean, Darth Maul is just a fun character. And I like how they played fair with him having what looked to be a, a really double long lightsaber and then saving the reveal of that second half being another lightsaber until this fight scene. Yeah. You know, there were some, some really good moments there. And we see uh, Obi-Wan succumbing a little bit to the dark side with his anger when he's fighting uh, Darth Maul there. Mm-hmm. 
but there are aspects of that whole fight sequence that are setting up the video game levels, if you will, for, you know, again, one of those first-person shooter, you know, lightsaber-type games. And don't get me wrong, I've played many of those games. I think they're awesome. But when it starts to impact the story being told in the movie... Yeah. It's bad enough that it's like, okay, have a character change costumes 18 times in the movie, so you've got 18 action figures. Yeah, I'm almost waiting, and it would be funny for them to do in, in one of these these future movies, have a character, you know... It's like, oh, you know, how do you like this outfit? Oh, that doesn't work. Change, change, change. And here's 15, you know, action figures to be sold. Yes. But when it starts to feel like the the pod racing thing is to set up the video game more than in service to the story. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they could have gone around once and we'd have been fine. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's, no, no, let's throw a little Ben-Hur in here. Yes. And the... It sets up him, uh, uh, Anakin, as a pilot. Okay, fine. Yet he needs to be told how a a spaceship works, but then after fumbling around in the cockpit of that fighter for a minute or two, suddenly he knows how to fly it once they turn off the autopilot, (laughs) which inexplicably (laughs) takes him to to the the enemy's base. Yes. How lazy do the Naboo fighters have to be? That they need their autopilot to take them to the battle. Okay, I'm just saying the Naboo fighters had some of the best dialogue at the end of their fight scene with the uh, enemy ship. Like, we didn't do anything in that. It's blowing up on its own. (laughs) Yes. Uh, My respect for the Naboo uh, pilots and stuff, though, dropped considerably at the beginning when uh, uh, Obi-Wan and and Qui-Gon are freeing them. And they just run out versus getting in their planes and, and fighting back. Yes. I mean, they could have gone and done something. I mean, really, the, the Naboo people did not do a whole lot of fighting other than a couple of palace guards who, who came back. Uh, most of it was done by the Gungans. I would agree. And I hope to see more integration in that society in the future <laughs> movies. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is... Uh, a film that's derided and rightfully so for many reasons, the pod racing, Jar Jar, etc. But even with all of that, I think it's a really good film, a really fun film. For me, while I respect and love the original trilogy, I like this film better in some respects. I really enjoyed this film, and I remember when it came out just thinking, wow, Star Wars came back well. It did, not unmitigatingly so. Again, some people had reservations, and, and I get that. I understand that. But they told a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. They told it well. They gave the cutting-edge effects that we expected. They hold up really well. I mean, the parade scene at the mm-hmm. end, mm-hmm. where you've got real you know, people on either side and a fake parade, impressive. The Gungans going up the stairs, a lot like uh, Luke and Han going up yeah. to get their uh, medals from Leia. Again, nice callback to mm-hmm. uh, to the first trilogy. It's just this had some some great stuff. Um, there's some moments in the the other two prequel films uh, with the clones and a couple of the fight scenes. Uh, we get one or two, one with Boba Fett and uh, Obi Wan. That's that's awesome. An amazing one with uh, with Yoda at one point, mm. and just there's a certain level of action and adventure uh, in these films that work for me better than than the classic. 
Uh, and also the the colors pop. Yeah. It's a more vibrant one. There were places in the original trilogy, and this was just an aspect of the era in which it was made in the age of the films. It's darker. It's a little harder to make out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, I remember falling in love with the parts of Naboo that had the waterfalls. And yeah. when that came on this time, I, again, I was like, God, I remember wishing that they would put out posters of those like they say it was a painting you could put on your wall poster of those really what they ought to do is um star tours Mm. how they have the portable ones that they could take to you know state fairs or whatever Mm. type things here's a tour of naboo yeah i don't need any of the crash you know Mm -hmm. bounce me around crap Mm-hmm. But just let's go tour as if it's Niagara Falls or something. Well, there is a TV show, I believe it's on Smithsonian, um, that our parents are addicted to called Aerial America. And somebody's been using, I think it's just drones, and doing aerial footage. And they do a state at a time, and they've released oh, over cool. 30 episodes. And you get an entire hour of aerial footage, or well, 42 minutes once there are commercials, but anyways. Sounds neat. A one-hour show of aerial footage of various states. And I'll, you know, talk to our parents periodically, and they'll be saying, you know, oh, Massachusetts was amazing, or North Carolina was amazing. Well, if they did something like that, only it was Naboo. Uh, No offense, Tatooine might be kind of boring, but... I think you could do a history-slash-travel-channel take on that kind of concept mm-hmm. for even Tatooine that's that makes it look impressive the scenic deserts let's go look at you know oh here's a, a sarlacc pit a little bit of mutual of Omaha's natural kingdom kind of a thing in there find their equivalent to uh the Grand Canyon because you're exactly. sure they have one yeah um I was thinking about was it Coruscant which is mm-hmm. the one big city planet well even with with Tatooine, you've got the uh, the Ben Hur Arena. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got things to look at. Yeah. You know, it may be a little more challenging on some planets versus others. Well, and if you're only trying to put together a five minute special for one of those little uh, things that go around to the conventions and stuff, I think something amazing could be put yeah, together. Absolutely. And again, it's a very rich uh, universe, narrative mm-hmm. universe to play in. And again, while we went back to Tatooine, we got Coruscant for the first time in the films. It had been established in the books prior to that. Um, and we also got Naboo, that planet, for the first time. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're expanding the universe. They're showing us some new stuff, yet hearkening back to uh, older characters, established uh, uh, scenes, locales, and staying very much within the theme, the tone, and the style that is Star Wars. Yeah. So, again, I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to watching uh, the next two in this. And, of course, looking forward to The uh, the Force Awakens when that comes out. You said it well. Shall we move on to the next film? Yes, please. Cool. So, we have just finished watching Attack of the Clones on Blu-ray. This is, of course, the second film of, of the prequel trilogy. Uh, we get a lot of major kind of, of plot development, particularly in terms of what the, the Sith are doing. Mm-hmm. And it really shows just what a long-term plan um, the Emperor has. Oh, definitely. Because this movie is clearly taking place 10 years after the previous one. The uh, That whole plot line, you know, is 
kind of faded away to the background. Uh, Valorum uh, is, or Palpatine is, is still Chancellor, having replaced Valorum in the previous film. Um, he's using the events of this film to get even more power to, to create the army of the, the Republic, which, you know, he's saying begrudgingly, etc. I mean, at this point, it's still not crystal clear. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, but not, uh, locked in stone that, um, Palpatine and the Emperor are, are the same person mm-hmm. or, or the Sith Lord. Well, it's interesting to me. I think if you asked the average Star Wars fan, which was the first movie where you saw a scene that had dozens upon dozens upon dozens of stormtroopers lined up, they'd probably say the first movie in the first trilogy. Well, yes. But did we actually have dozens upon dozens lined up in that movie? Because it seemed to me it wasn't until the third that we really had one of those huge, expansive scenes. And again, in this movie at the end. In the first, when Han is chasing the handful of soldiers, they get to that one room where there's all the rest. Mm, And they come back. But either way, it certainly wouldn't have been this film because we get clone troopers here, not stormtroopers. True, true. And again, that clone army had been being built for really since the previous movie. It just seemed to me that that shot we had of the incredibly large clone army, the incredibly large droid army, are some of the images that people seem to have in their head from all of the Star Wars movies. I would agree with that, but it also shows just how much special effects had progressed uh, from 1999, when Mm. the previous one was, in 2002 with this one, because they had thought about doing a totally CG Yoda for a lot of things in the hmm. previous one, but it just it just wasn't quite there. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, not only do we have a totally CG Yoda, he's doing an incredible fight scene. The fight scene is great. I've, I mean, like I said, from the first time I saw Yoda, I loved him. Mm-hmm. You know, and in this one especially, I really enjoy the full-on characterization of Yoda. And I think, you know, we talked earlier about why I liked Qui-Gon so much. Well, in this one, Yoda had the chance to really show he encompassed all those great aspects of a Jedi. Well, both Yoda and Mace Windu get a lot more screen time in this film. Mm-hmm. Therefore, a lot more character development. They're mm-hmm. not just mentors. They're actually involved in the plot. And Obi-Wan gets quite a bit more depth in this movie. And it just, you know, the number of uh, other Jedi we see, I mean, this has got this is the most Jedi we've ever seen in a Star Wars film up to this point. We'll see, I think, many more in the next one, um, although at the end of it, there'll be many less. <laughs> well, and I think one of the things that really comes through in this movie, whether it's on purpose or accident, I'm not sure, is the Jedi who are on the council really are the wisest and most mature of the Jedi, whereas a lot of the other Jedi, like Obi-Wan, like Qui-Gon, they still have a lot to learn. I would love to have seen just like a a five-year-old on the council. Mm. The one wise beyond his years. Yes, yes. You know, at least eight or something like that. Mm -hmm. Just just for the humor value of that. Mm -hmm. Well, they had basically the out of the mouths of babes scene when uh, with the younglings that uh yoda was was uh training and whatnot mm-hmm. who were using the same kind of blind uh, uh blinded visor thing or whatever blaster you know, crap 
what was it from the first film yes the the um, welding visor whatever it was yeah um that that luke was training with and the spheres and stuff yeah and it was funny because when we get that scene with the the kids um there's one who's just standing here with the lightsaber just not moving I'm like, hmm, slow learner there. <laughs> but there's also another one that looks kind of like Ahsoka, which is the Padawan in the Clone Wars uh, animated series. Interesting. Now, I'm not saying it was that character, mm-hmm. but the, um, and it probably isn't because I don't know how much time elapses between this movie and the next, but that's when the Clone Wars series takes place. And I think that series takes place a good couple of years so that character could have grown enough. Yeah. Well, I thought they did a brilliant job on Tatooine recreating uh, Owen and Beru's home. They did. It was interesting to have met them in so much as they are the, I guess, they say stepbrother. Mm-hmm. Would that have been accurate? Yeah, because uh, Shmi married the father of Owen. So stepbrother. So Owen was already born. Yes. Lars Owen or whatever, okay? Owen Lars, yes. Okay, sorry, yeah. Um, the reason I was a little confused with that, because if that had, if Smee had been the mother, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been a half-brother, because Anakin yes. had no father. Yes. Which would get really kind of weird in the genetics and the genealogy, I yeah. suppose. Well, and in fact, when they go and they bury Shmee, you can see two other headstones, one presumably for Owen's mother, and one looks to be much smaller, like Owen has sibling that didn't make it. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. It begs the question as to what Obi-Wan was thinking, leaving Luke there. I think the quality of the family, the people. the uh, That at this point, Obi-Wan has never met or heard about. You know, the impression I got, I mean, this is a, what, two-hour toy-minute film? Thereabouts. So... You got to cut a lot to keep it down to. I mean, they cut out so much of the romance I wanted to keep it down. Yeah. When we had watched this on DVD, we went through all the deleted features and every one of them were just was the romance story. Yeah. Because I was I was trying to figure out early on when does does uh, Amadala go from this kid's creeping me out to loving him? Yeah. And it was pretty quick. Yeah. Because again, they cut all those scenes. Yeah. And I can't help but think that part of what went to the cutting room floor was Anakin finding out that his mom married a good person, that his stepbrother was a good person. And at some point, you assume that that's why the Jedi were comfortable leaving her back on Tatooine, because they knew there was something good waiting for her. If, as they so often say, you just have patience. Well, and if uh, Padme basically says, you know, we've got two kids, one with my family, one with his. Yeah. Yeah. And and could reveal it then. Yeah. It just seemed like hiding him in plain sight. And it really comes down to, and it's been a while since I've seen the last movie, does Anakin know that he has kids? Agreed. And, I mean, there's also the fact that I don't think Anakin ever really connects to Owen and Beru in a meaningful way no. and doesn't consider them family. So as much as it's hiding them in plain sight, it's also somewhere he would never think of. Yeah. But it also comes down to, was he even looking? Yes. Uh, once again, we get the sign, uh, the shiny ships of Naboo. Yes. 
We get Jar Jar again in a much uh, reduced role. But a good one. A good one. Um, and it, it really shows how the Chancellor was playing on the naivety of, of younger people in the Senate mm-hmm. uh, to build up his power base. Uh, and presumably that's how over the course of the 10 years he's really gotten a lot of the senators under his sway. Yeah. Uh, although we never really see too much evidence of that other than the, hey, let's give the guy more power passing instantly. Yeah. Making it curious as to why it was so hard to get somebody to introduce that into the into when, the Senate. And we never find out who was the go-between with the uh, people making the clone soldiers. They've been expecting a Jedi to come and see the clone soldiers, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't know who they've been communicating with or how for 10 years. I don't know that they have because there was a comment of after so many years, we thought and you'd forgotten. Hmm. So the question was to me, again, who who instigated some of that? Who started that? Mm-hmm. Had they had any contact? Uh, 10 years, you know, that's a long time for, um, for Django to have been there. Yeah. And they're implying that was his home base. Yes. Because they say, you know, you just got back. I kind of, well, I flowed back and forth on how I feel about Boba. Him being a clone, I'm less fond of. But I liked an introduction of Boba and kind of a reason for his being very mercenary. Seeing his father killed before his very eyes, etc. I'm curious if we're going to get any of Boba in the next film. Because, again, I, I don't really recall. And kind of how he takes over his the family business, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And does he, he's got to understand that he's, uh, you know, able to easily infiltrate the clone troopers because, you know, he looks like them. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, uh, particularly when he gets to a, a particular age, he would fit right in. He'd be younger than most of them. But it's funny because, well, they've got like, a million or so uh, of these clone troopers, they were still growing new ones. Yeah. So the fact that they were able to mobilize so quickly and whatnot uh, was interesting. And that goes back to my just wondering, weren't they receiving more communications, more orders, more something? I I don't think so. I mean, they had to, though. Yeah, it just, it was unclear to me. But like I said, I'm grateful they kept the movie down to two hours, 20 minutes. Yeah. I I didn't want a longer movie is where that's coming to. I think there were a couple of things that may have been added at the last moment. I think the whole droid factory bit mm. was kind of a, a late addition just to give it a little more action at various places. Well, I found that sequence interesting. And maybe I'll start by asking how you took this. But I enjoyed seeing... Padme going down the same basic conveyor belt as Anakin because they dealt with it entirely differently. Yes, we get a definite uh, ability to contrast the two characters quite a bit, both in terms of power, but also in terms of approach. Mm -hmm. Because Anakin was very much just hack slash your way through everything. Mm -hmm. Whereas Padme was a little more thoughtful, a little bit more, you know, can I do the timing? Can I avoid the obstacles? Mm -hmm. But it also was very video game it was ish it was well and the moment she fell into something that looked like a cauldron i'm sitting here going so a hot liquid that will boil her must end up in the cauldron too yeah because apparently you pour these these uh droid bots or whatever uh battle droids uh you know in one one mold or something i don't know 
it was it was it was nice to see how they get made. You know, having R two and three PO there was a little odd, um, convenient, whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, C three PO getting back into the mix was just kind of oh, they're back on Tatooine. Oh, they find him, okay, and basically run off with him. They essentially steal him. Yeah, mom had kept hold of him, and he ended up back on the ship with them. I understood they're finding him where mom had been living more than I understood just taking him. Well, the funny thing is he obviously knows how to work the the moisture, you know, uh, farm farm or whatever that he was then hired to go do in the first of the, the other trilogy. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure both droids get their memories wiped at the end of the next film, mm. setting up how they don't know anybody at this one. Makes sense. Um or the previous one, actually. Or, you know, yeah, at, yeah. at the start of the next trilogy. It's so confusing with which is forward and backwards here. Yeah. Uh, it was also surprising to me that instead of the typical golden color that 3PO has, uh, C-3PO is more of kind of a tin color. Mm-hmm. And that goes to something I had noticed when we were watching the other trilogy, that his lower right leg was that color versus the, the gold. Mm-hmm. And at first I was thinking, well, he lost a leg. And now I'm thinking that's all he kept. Yeah. So I don't know when the uh, the changing of his color happens. I don't know if we'll get that in the next film or not. But it's nice to see the character still being the same, but, but evolving over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that evolves over the years, I was talking about how in uh, one of the other movies, they have just the prosthetics that are indistinguishable. Yes. Clearly, Anakin's very rudimentary. They make huge strides in that between him needing a replacement arm and Luke needing one. I actually was thinking Anakin borrowed one to see 3PO's arms. I was thinking 3PO's looked better. (laughs) Yes. Anakin may have made his own, though. Yeah. Now, I mean, since we are pretty much at the end of the film with that comment, I take the final scene of Anakin and Padme as a wedding. Yes. And I take Obi-Wan saying Anakin is escorting Padme back to the, to Naboo as him probably knowing. I think it was, he knows, it was clear the entire film that Anakin had feelings for, for Padme. Mm-hmm. And in Obi-Wan's eyes, Anakin had done the right thing by staying with him and going after Dooku. And I think him escorting Padme back was a completion of the mission and a little bit of a, a reward from Obi-Wan of, hey, you did the right thing, so okay. I'll let you spend a little more time. Okay. Kind of a, a conciliatory thing mm-hmm. versus uh, him thinking they're going to go hook up. Yeah. Now, you know, as we've commented, in movies we've seen before, I will scream out to John during the film. Um, when Annie got on the, um, the speed bike thing, to go charging off after his mother who'd been mm-hmm. captive and was probably dying. You know, he had found out very little about his mother's life at the moisture farm. And I was telling you at that point, if they had taken the time to tell him, your mother's had five happy years, she's, you know, had a very good life, he would have been less easy to push to the dark side than only telling him... She's being tortured and has been for 30 days. This goes back to if the Jedi were afraid, he would fall to the dark side out of fear and whatnot, looking after his mother, having some other kind of familial influences on Luke, you know, would have been a good thing. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah. they almost set themselves up for the fall. Yeah. And again, they come back to, okay, he's, you know, is he the one to restore balance to the force? You think the Sith are wiped out. The Jedi are, are very powerful and in control. Why do you want balance? What is out of balance that's that's out of your favor? Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I thought was really great in the film was when Count Doku tells the truth and nobody believes him because he's told so many lies that it must be just one more lie. When he says Darth Sith has control of the Senate. Ah, uh, I was going to say, he doesn't have all that much time, screen time. Uh, and I was trying to remember when he was telling the truth versus lying. Because he's really only in just a handful of scenes. They're important scenes. He's a pivotal character and stuff. But having been a Jedi and then falling out of that, and presumably having turned... I think he was Darth Maul's replacement. Well, and that was one of the questions you asked me during the film, was how do you become a former Jedi? And I thought that was a great question. Well, because they... they uh, say that Dooku was a Jedi and no longer is. So, okay, how does that happen? And then um, Obi-Wan telling Anakin that if you don't stay with me and you go after Padme or whatever, you'll be expelled from the Jedi Order. Yeah. So there are rules, obviously. Yeah. Even though Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan and others blatantly break many of them. Well, and at that point where he's telling Anakin you'll be expelled, that really annoyed me because he was wanting to go after Padme, who'd fallen out of their vehicle, and his current mission was protect Padme. But I think there was also the aspect of save one life or save, prevent a, a galactic war. Yeah. You know, there's a matter of of scale and of of priority. Stay on mission until I tell you not to. Until the mission's irrelevant because there's a much greater one. Yeah. So I, I get that aspect of it. It's a very juvenile Anakin that we encounter in this film. For all that at times he seems surprisingly mature. Well, particularly at the beginning. He's very whiny, very young, and frankly not all that different from Luke. Yes. When we see him at the beginning, but we start to see him grow and part of it's as he's getting accepted by Padme. Yes. Because while Obi-Wan is a father figure, he's also a very tough father figure. Mm hmm. Well, and going back to your comparison with Luke, Luke has some very good touchstones, if you will, in Han, in Leia, in Chewbacca, even in C-3PO and R2-D2. Mm -hmm. And really, Anakin only has Obi-Wan and Padme. Well, he's got the Chancellor, who's the most accepting of him, oh. which is, again, part of what leads him to the dark side. Yeah. Whereas, you're right, Luke fell in with a good crowd. Yeah. You know, Obi-Wan was a good influence uh, for the, the few days they were together. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though, you know, Han is, is a bit of a scoundrel or whatever, he's a very good-hearted one. Mm-hmm. And he, like you said, Chewie and, and Leo and Londo are, are really good influences. Yeah. Surprising, though, a few of those may be. Well, exactly. Yeah. But Luke has a way of bringing out the best in people and looking sort of to the core of the character past the rough edges. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the great qualities of Luke Skywalker. But Luke has friends. Yes. A group of friends, whereas Anakin is surrounded by mentors. Yes. And Anakin mentors, doesn't have anyone that's that's on his peer level other than Padme. Well, and his mentors don't necessarily trust him. No, I think to a degree they do fear him. 
And that's a very uneasy environment to live in. You know, does he measure up or not is is the question. Will he be our downfall or not? Yes. Luke has none of that to contend with. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if the third trilogy is going to have that kind of, of central character. You know, mm-hmm. maybe who is the chosen one who brings balance to the force, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or and goes through that kind of growth curve or not. Or if we're just going to be following characters that we've already kind of come to know and whatnot. I mean, do we have a rebuilt Jedi Order? Do we have more Sith? Mm-hmm. How does all that play out? Yeah. Well, and sort of comparing this trilogy or as much of it as we've watched to the previous one. I enjoyed this movie, but I came out of it on kind of a downer. Because we've just started a huge war with two big armies. It was kind of like the second film of the previous trilogy in that respect. Yeah, it definitely ends on a downer of there's much more story to be had. We're not done. But it also ended with enough of an appropriate pause. Mm. You know, we've started the Clone Wars. Well, and we, I don't want to say we wrapped up the courtship of Anakin and Padme. We've but, got the wedding at the end, so yeah. to a large degree we did. The The love story ended, the mission he was on ended, and while we've had the first battle of the Clone Wars, that battle ended. Yeah. So I didn't feel like, it's like, yes, there's, there's more to come, mm-hmm. but there's not a specific unfinished mission here. Yeah, there was no sense of to be continued. I just felt like they were very heavily tempting and teasing the, you know, this is part of a trilogy. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about that. But it was also a very uh, important part of it because, again, we set up two armies, Mm -hmm. how they're connected. I mean, the fact that that Boba Fett was going between the two. Yeah. There's there's more story there than we get. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that's one of the downsides of a lot of the Star Wars films is there is a lot more there than we actually get told. Mm-hmm. You know, in the first movie, there's the, oh, we'll get our revenge. And we never find out what that's about. Yeah. You know, there are lots of things kind of tossed out, um, almost scattershot, and some stick, some some don't. Yeah. Which yeah, at times gets a little frustrating, but it's, it's the nature of the beast. But other than having set up Anakin and Padme, having met, you know, back then, I question the importance of the first film in this trilogy. Mm, Could they have started with this? Maybe included a few aspects of the first film, you know, how they found Anakin, etc. Well, I was going to say, for me, Qui-Gon mentoring almost everybody was a significant aspect of the first film. I think even Padme learned from Qui-Gon. I would agree with that. And you need a a break in from one film to another for that kind of a 10-year jump. Mm-hmm. I mean, discovering how Obi-Wan became Obi-Wan, how he became the mentor of Anakin. I guess I would have just liked to have seen the things setting up the clone army. How come we haven't seen anything of the ro- droid army in 10 years? Things of that nature mm-hmm. set up very clearly in the first film. Mm-hmm. You know, if we'd just gotten a, a mysterious scene of well, what's going on on this other planet with these really tall aliens. Yes, yes. You know, or Django going over there or something. Mm-hmm. And we just, it, the 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 overall game plan didn't seem to be yeah. clearly outlined and, and uh, acted on in the first film. Yeah, I can see that. 
you know, we get the chancellor and stuff, but really so much of the other things that are playing out here, uh, Dooku, et cetera, go back to that previous movie, but are more tacked on than integral to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, it happened. It, it's, uh, it's what I expect. I mean, again, this is a roller coaster ride kind of a thing. It's got enough uh, stability and, and solidity to the the plot line that it you can poke holes in some of it, but it's not like it falls apart. It, it well, holds together well enough. Their strength is the swashbuckling, the adventure, the roller coaster ride, the Spartacus style execution scene, mm-hmm. and as a result, one of the few romance scenes they did leave in where Anakin and Padme are discussing the, should we have a relationship? No, that would destroy everything. It felt kind of stilted and out of oh, character. and uh, Not so much out of character, but the what they were saying rang true. It's how they were saying it that didn't. Yes, yes. It felt Shakespearean. It felt forced. It felt put on. And Anakin was almost talking in circles around what he wanted to say. And he's very much a straight shooter. Yeah. He, he he will whine about whatever. And that felt odd. It felt off. Yeah. If they were to rewrite a chunk of it, that would be the one I would have uh, the dialogue, you know, worked on. Yeah. And it's funny because I understood what they were going for in that scene. And I, I wanted them to hit that mark, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just... I just felt they didn't quite get there. I think the people writing and directing the movie, that's not their comfort zone. That's not the kind of story they're good at. Yeah. They're better at the action and the adventure. And we get tons Mm -hmm. of that here. Mm -hmm. Well, and to that end, in what I was calling the Spartacus-style execution, when Padme jumps off the top of the column to land on the animal behind Anakin, she just pecks a light little kiss on his neck to thank him for coming to the rescue. And that's okay, let's get on with this. Yeah. That's the kind of romance and stuff that they are good at writing. Well, and I want to see more of that in the next film. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the, uh, the chase scene at the beginning. Um, with the uh, speeders and stuff like that. I still want to know how in all that traffic they could f- keep track of which vehicle the uh, bounty hunter was in. They used the force. Yes, I firmly believe that. Um, I mean, it was very clear Anakin had done that when he took the shortcut. He's like, you know, hang on a sec, and then just dives out of the thing. Yeah. And I love how there are comments from Obi-Wan that just imply this is just the way this kid is. There are certain things that have happened a million times before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would be, I guess the, the Clone Wars takes place after this, obviously, the series. But it makes me wonder how much that we see of these sorts of things, you know, the lightsaber getting busted, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Just how, how does it continue to ring true? Yeah. Um, again, I loved the uh, the fight between the, um, the, the clones and the robots, uh, I think. They did a lot of smart things. You know, when the robots or the droids are shooting things, their missiles have a smoky trail and stuff. Where And they're always coming from one side of the screen, whereas the 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 clone troopers are always on the other side. It, it, we're always staying on the same side of the football field, if you will. Yeah. It was easy to keep track of who was who and who was where. And there was a lot going on. Yes. You right. know, you've got a few dozen Jedi, I think, at this point still. You know, an uncounted mass of, of uh, battle droids and clone troopers. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and the clone troopers, I think, were well introduced, well used. And from what I was reading on IMDb last night for both this movie and the next, not a single clone trooper uh, helmet or armor were ever built. That's just amazing. All of that. Well, it makes sense. All of that CG. Oh, it makes sense. But it, it just boggles the mind when you consider how many people it felt like you saw on the screen. You know, the old uh, trailers for movies from the 60s. And with a cast of thousands. Yeah. We've already had a few films, I think Sin City was one of them, where a lot of the backgrounds and a lot of it was all virtual sets. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering when are we going to get to the point, because I think the technology is here, where you could have essentially an entirely virtual movie. And I don't mean like uh, a few of the ones I've seen that are computer animated, but I mean something that essentially is entirely computer animated, but looks as if it is just a live action film. What was the movie that uh, Simone, Simone? Uh, Simone or Simone that had the virtual actress. Yeah, it was a fantastic movie. Uh, It was very well done. There was going to be one, I thought, where they were going to essentially bring back George Burns Mm. with computer effects and whatnot because they had scans, what have you. Um, But I'd like to see something where, you know, you've got basically the entire thing shot on a green screen. You know, but you get enough of the actors' uh, mannerisms, can uh, expressions, and just the way they are. Mm-hmm. You know, but it would allow you to do shape shifting. You know, cloning of people, etc. There's a lot of fun things you could do that way. And there comes a point where I've got to imagine it's easier to do it all in the computer than try to mix and match. Yes. Um, but just looking at how well done. Uh, the droids were, again, the, the clone army, and even the uh, the factory scene. There were aspects of that that were very clearly composited together, whatever. But just looking at how fluidly uh, CG characters are getting integrated into films like this. Yeah. And, I mean, again, Yoda's fight scene, uh, the scene with Dex at the bar, or mm-hmm. the, the diner, I mean. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of, of characters that you just people in suits rubber suits can't do yeah well and with the scene with dex at the diner the uh handing a prop back and forth mm-hmm. i mean it's just fantastic what they can do now well actually that was one of the other things i wanted to talk about last night i went through the imdb pages for this entire trilogy and one of the things that came out of the the first one was a couple of the actors i think liam neeson was one of them were almost just disgusted by part of the the aspect of the final film. How so? Apparently, and I I need to see some behind-the-scenes footage, because I'm sure it's true, but I'd love to see how it worked out. Some of the scenes were composites of like five or six or seven different takes. Hmm. Where somebody would say, you know, Padme was really good in take one. Anakin, however, take three. Except for this part, we want this thing. And how they were using the... Uh, they were digitally altering the performances in some cases. Mm. This is good, but run it backwards. Oh, that means we got to flip this. And how uh, some of the actors felt they were just puppets. Yeah. And on the one hand, it's like, wow, that's harsh, both for an actor to say that and a director to do that. And I get the frustrations and the necessities on both sides. I've heard uh, people in production departments refer to actors as props that can walk away. It's there are directors that, you know, it's easier to just do it themselves. Ang Lee essentially was the Incredible Hulk in his film. 
It's like, no, no, this is what I want. So they just find getting the motion caption uh, rig and we'll just grab that. Yeah, and at least the, that's what I've heard. I mean, on the one hand, I get it because they have their vision. They know what they want. But on the other hand, when you hire someone like Liam Neeson, and I mean, like I've already said, I really enjoyed his performance as Qui-Gon. I yeah. can't, can't see tinkering with it. But when do you take a scene that it's like, oh, man, that's so close. If only his eye line was just right on with that, that virtual actor or he blinked at the wrong time or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I get it's like we've got what we need to, to fix it. Mm-hmm. Which, again, if you're going to hire the actors, the crew, the, the technical people, you want to, to leverage their skills. Mm-hmm. But how do you balance the requirement for collaboration with the desire for a singular vision of a creator? Mm-hmm. And at what point are you better off with the collaboration and better off not with it? Yeah. Because, I mean, we didn't go through all the credits on these things, but I've got to imagine there's you know thousands of people involved, particularly with the level of computer animation and whatnot they were doing, mm-hmm. plus all the actors, plus the set builders, plus this, that, and the other. Yeah. And even in, in the first film, apparently they took some shortcuts and only built the sets as tall as the actors, and the rest was computer generated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is great, except apparently Liam Neeson, not a short fellow. Yes. That cost them, I think from what IMDb was saying, like 150000 extra to build the sets that much taller. That's funny. And it's, yeah, it's, it's where we're at. You pay by the foot. I mean, anybody who's tiled a floor in a house knows you pay by the foot. Yeah, it's more the height of the, the, the walls, but same idea. Yeah. And again, with a lot of this shot entirely in the computer... You know, these these are the films where it's easier to almost talk about or to, to list out the scenes that don't have special effects than those that do. Mm-hmm. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I love just how fluid some of it is and what they could do digitally that these days you just couldn't do physically. Mm-hmm. But that also goes back to your comment about the cast of thousands in films from decades past. Yeah. There is a aspect of this film, droids and aliens aside certainly with the the clone troopers and whatnot, that you could have done 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. Would have been expensive, but you, you could throw that many people at the problem. Yeah. Whereas today, because of how much it would cost, even at the minimum cost for, you know, whatever, you, you can't. Yeah. It's, again, just a, it, it shows the changing ways of, of movie making over the years. Mm-hmm. And this had an epic scope and... uh size for these armies that was needed mm-hmm. because really at the end that that just oppressive wow we're now in a military state aspect yeah you can't do if you just got a a few dozen soldiers you know you need that that depth um and i thought they did a good job with the color coding of the the clone trooper helmets to show okay this guy's a little bit higher in rank or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. yeah i like the yellow the red i really enjoyed that yeah, it was a nice subtle touch. It didn't. It wasn't so much so that it's like, wow, this is another toy to sell. It's like, okay, I see his rank, but it's still a clone trooper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and the clone troopers get really well used in what I've seen of the uh, the Clone Wars series. Nice. So, I think it was a good film. I think again, it was a bit of a downer, like you said, but it had an- enough resolution with not a the end. Obviously, everyone knew there was a third part of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and some good world building. 
Good world building and a great place to pause mm-hmm. because it allowed for the, the Clone War series. Yeah. And in terms of going in with that expectation of I'm going to find out things that made the original trilogy, I came out satisfied on that score. Yeah. I mean, I'm always going to want more. I'm always going to have more questions than they answer on that score. But they did well by me. But that's something that if at some point they wanted to do a movie set in the 10 years between this film and the prior of just how is Anakin's training going? Yeah. They could do that. So they left themselves some wiggle room, which is good. Yeah. So with that, should we go watch the next film? Yes, please. So we've just finished watching Revenge of the Sith, which is the final movie of the prequel trilogy. And it takes place... A few years later, I guess. It's a little unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Clone uh, Wars are, are well underway. Uh, a lot of things uh, have been happening, and a lot happens in this film. It's definitely uh, the the point at which it goes from the Republic to the Empire. Yeah, that and, would definitely be the turning point that occurs during this movie. Yeah, I mean, we see that very clearly. It's uh, very clear Palpatine is the Emperor. Uh, no no questions about that. This but, is the uh, movie in which uh, I would say three characters from the original trilogy are born. We've got Luke, Leia. Darth Vader. Yeah, I would agree with that. And in fact, I would say on the same day, all three were born. It's really quite magical. Uh, I would say uh, you could argue another one is reborn. Uh, C-3PO is getting his memory wiped. Yeah, the poor guy. And... Uh, this is when Yoda and Obi-Wan go into hiding. Uh, we see Chewbacca. Yes, I liked that. Um, so he knows Yoda. He's, he's fought with Yoda. So when uh, Luke mentions training under Yoda in the other films, I don't know if he ever does it with an earshot of, of Chewie or not. He may not. I don't think so. He seems to, to keep that kind of private. All right. I was just going to say, Chewie never mentions him. Yeah. Um, but it also explains why the Wookiees are, you know, good uh, allies for the the rebellion in the prequel mm-hmm. or the the other trilogy. And a lot again, a lot happens here um, in terms of just really Anakin going from you know he's a little misguided to he's flat out definitely dark side. Yeah. To the point even the dark side eyes kind of affect later in the film. Yeah. Well, and there at the very end. On the one hand, I mean, there were aspects of the fight with Obi-Wan I really liked. Mm-hmm. The master against his apprentice fighting at Saratara. There's a part of me that says they went a little overboard with the finale of the fight. But the rest of me acknowledges they were trying to come up with a reason why Darth Vader needed the suit. And why when he told Luke, you know, take off my mask, I want to see you with my own eyes. Yeah, Luke was saying, but you need that uniform that mask to live well and i think there was also a comment about how vader was more machine than man yeah and it does throw kenobi's comments in the first film into a very interesting light since you know he was very much there i don't say i mean you could argue at the moment luke became vader i mean he was already vader technically by this point but not the vader we know and no. recognize, and that's that's Obi-Wan's uh, doing. I think... Partially. Partially, definitely. But I think the real turning point in a variety of ways was during the fight between Mace Windu 
and uh, the not yet emperor. Mm -hmm. The chancellor at that point. Yeah. Well, and again, Palpatine was playing everybody expertly. Well, we commented, and I don't think it made it into the podcast because mostly we were doing it during the movie, of people on Naboo are uh, uh, yeah. paranoid like crazy. It, it says something about politics on Naboo that the queen had multiple decoys. Mm -hmm. The senator in the second movie had a decoy that gets blown up. Yes. You well, know, they're used to this kind of double dealing, backstabbing, and assassination. The throne. When we get into the throne room on Naboo. In, uh, uh, I think, the first film, it's yes. got two blasters in it. Yeah. You know, there's something about that culture that is just treacherous and suspicious. So Palpatine, having come out of that culture and having a, a decades-long game plan. Yeah. Because to become emperor took him easily, well, it took, you know, most of Anakin's life. Yes. Um. Because the the implication in one of the scenes here, when the Chancellor is telling uh, Anakin about uh, one of the the Sith Lords and how that one knew how to conquer death and was killed in his sleep, he's very much saying, this is how I killed my mentor. Yes, yes. So he'd been working at it for years prior to any of the movies we see. Yeah, well, and... One of the things that Palpatine does that really completes the transformation from Anakin to Darth Vader is to tell him, but you're the person who killed Padme. Yes, this movie had crushing defeats for Anakin, mm -hmm. for uh, uh, Obi-Wan, for, uh, for Yoda, for pretty much everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And these are the surviving characters. Yeah, well, and the senator played by Jimmy Smits was definitely a background character for the most part, but had uh, an interesting... Yeah, he had an interesting arc. He did, and he was the only senator that really seemed to be uh, sympathetic and clearly on the sides of the Jedi and on the sides of the right. Yeah, and he, I guess he started out in the previous movie. Because yes. he was there when uh, Jar Jar was persuaded. So he was the one, one of the ones who had seen what Palpatine was doing and been aware of the machinations and had been persuaded by them at one point and had his eyes opened somehow. I love the scene in the Senate when um, uh, uh, Amidala is basically saying, so this is how the, the, the dem democracy falls. Yes, with cheers and shouts. Yeah. And there's aspects of all of this that go back to the whole rise of Hitler. Yes, definitely. Playing the system, getting the acceptance, getting into power legitimately. Yes. And then abusing that power. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's clear parallels to our own history in this, this science fiction story. Yeah. And just the way the system was manipulated, and again, the long-term planning. Mm-hmm. Ten years to build up this uh, clone army. You know, and then all the work prior to that, setting up the, the droid army and the trade federation and all that stuff, killing ver off various allies and assets and stuff. Seeing people as chess pieces. I mean, Count Doku, yes. he clearly sacrificed as a pawn when he realized a more powerful potential apprentice was rising and ready to be taken on. Sacrificed, I would not say as a pawn. Mm. I think he was as a higher level piece. True. That 
needed to be sacrificed and needed to be that higher level piece to really turn Anakin or start to turn Anakin. Needed to be sacrificed in that moment and in that way. Yes. And there's an irony of the Chancellor being in what looks like his throne chair Mm. in one of these ships as, as a prisoner. Yes. Versus, you know, as ruler of the galaxy or whatever, as we see him in, in you know, the other trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, it goes towards a lot of the backstory and a lot of it's given in exposition. But either that or flashback, there's no other real viable way to do some of this. And mm-hmm. telling it in exposition, particularly the way they did and the influence it had on Anakin was, I think, the right way to do it. Yeah. You know, we get uh, some definite action pieces here. Uh, see some a couple of new worlds, a couple of very different kinds of worlds. Yeah, I'm not retiring to Lava World. No, the one at the end uh, where it was uh, incredibly treacherous. Uh, just again, you know, uh, hell on earth kind of a, or hell on whatever planet it was sort of yes. planet. Now, Wookiee Planet, whatever the correct name of that is, I kind of liked Wookiee World. I did find it funny, and they named it, it starts with a K, I forget what it is though, uh, or I can't pronounce it even if I could remember. What I loved is they're all set to fight, and they're like right there up on the beach because it's like these guys are furry; they don't want to get wet. Yes, yes. You know, and they did pretty well against the uh, the droids. The droids they were fighting and stuff, and just seeing an army of Wookies, army of droids. We get the clone army throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I liked in that one with the the Wookies is the clone troopers are in kind of a camo kind of a look, mm-hmm. kind of a, a jungle armor sort of a thing, and I don't recall. Any toy of that having been done? I'm sure it has been. It would have been difficult because it would have looked a lot like Boba or Django. No, I think, um, again, the the jungle camouflage colors and stuff would have been sufficiently different. And a lack is, of a jetpack. Lack of a jetpack. And at that point, their uniforms look more Stormtrooper-like mm. than Boba Fett's armor. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting to see kind of a census of all of the characters, including all the background ones in the various movies, versus a checkoff list of all the toys that have ever been mm. made. Yeah. Because, I mean, there have been more action figures and stuff made of, of Star Wars than probably any other franchise ever, which, again, goes to just the power of it and the uh, the the love people have for these films. And understandably so. They're great films, all of them. Yeah. Well, this film definitely built on the one before it. In terms of knowing what happened with Anakin's mother was somewhat pivotal in knowing why his fears and certain fears were so easy to play on. Well, I think it leaned both on that and on A New Hope. Because mm-hmm. if you don't understand Luke and Leia's story and even Darth's story at that point and the Emperor's and stuff, you don't really appreciate the ending of this one. Yeah. Okay, the kids are getting delivered, everyone lost, uh, geez, that's a downer. Mm-hmm. And it really throws into question the whole concept of, again, bringing balance to the Force. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, as you pointed out, first of all, there are all these long-term plans. You know, Nobody said he was going to bring balance to the Force the day he gained all his power. He does destroy the Sith. He just does it. In the original trilogy at the, basically the end of the third movie, when he kills the Emperor. Even that, though, doesn't bring balance to the Force. At that point, presumably, there are no Sith and there are two, one and a potential Jedi. 
Yeah. So what does it mean to bring balance to the force? That's never really addressed. Yeah. And at one point, Yoda was saying, well, maybe the prophecy was misread. Yes. You know, and arguably it was. They were expecting it to wipe out the Sith, which was already pretty much wiped out other than a, a, a master and apprentice. Or, of course, that's all there ever seemed to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it, again, begs the question of why only two Sith and... You know, a uh, 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 limited but wide number of Jedi. Yeah. I kind of felt like there was one master Jedi per world. Kind of going with that limited. It just seemed like you didn't see much more than one from each world. I thought it was f- fewer. Interesting. But we did see a youngling that was the same race of one of the uh, the adult Jedis we'd seen. So it's not like there's only one for any race. There's obviously a few humans yeah. or humanoids. So we never have any sense of of how big the Jedi Order is yeah, or even the galactic population. Agreed. I mean, there are some planets that are huge. There are others that it may just be a city or two. Yeah. Um, of course, even the one like the clone planet that seemed kind of thinly populated had a few million clones. So yeah. it's kind of hard to judge how that goes. Um. When we see C-3PO in this movie, he's in his traditional golden kind of a look, mm-hmm. uh, both legs and stuff. So he'd already gone through at some point in the Clone Wars uh, a change of, of uh, okay. outer plating or whatever you call it. He'd gotten spiffed up for being on Coruscant. Yeah, that something will happen. There's yeah. a story to be told there. Um, and again, a story to be told as to why his one leg looked different in the... The uh, original trilogy, and then presumably a s- story that'll be told, I think, in the comics as to how come he's got a red arm in the, the future trilogy. Mm, interesting. And again, yeah. it's just tweaking the, the look of the character mm-hmm. a little bit here and there. Yeah. Which, I mean, maybe they should do a mix and match your own uh, C-3PO toy. You can just plug in and out the arms and legs. Well, I stand by if you're a Skywalker and you lose an arm, just wear a black glove. Yeah, Anakin was doing that, definitely. And it's interesting to me that Luke was left under his original last name of Skywalker with his uh, uh, his actual aunt and uncle, I guess. Yeah, but uh, Anakin was told Padme died. Yes. And the Padme they buried was made to look pregnant. So he had no reason to think the kids were even alive. Yeah. But you would think, you know, a Luke Skywalker being out there you know, once it comes to his attention, it's like, oh, what are the, you know. Yeah. And it begs the question as to why in the original prequel or the original trilogy, Vader and the Emperor didn't have a bit of a discussion around that. Mm-hmm. You know, search your feelings, he's your son or whatever. It's like, but you told me he, he, he was never born. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of search your feelings and all answers will appear. Yes, yes. Rates up there would clear your mind. Because whatever you feel must be the truth. Mm. It's that whole truthiness thing that Stephen Colbert always tried to popularize on his Colbert rapport. Um, and he, of course, I think is a, a huge uh, sci-fi fan as well. Uh, probably a Star Wars fan too, I believe. What other, I mean, uh, some great moments with the uh, the Senate chamber, both in terms of the actual politicking going on and then the big fight at the end. Mm-hmm. I loved how they established the Chancellor's office was right below it and kind of raised him up into it. Yeah. Certain practicality there that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, there seemed to be a lot of wanton destruction during the fight between the Emperor and Yoda. That was pretty much gone by the time the, the uh, 
clone troopers came in. Yeah, well, you know, it's a magic rebuilding world. It's a big room. That's very true, too. Yeah. But there were several points where we saw Anakin leaning towards the dark side, being pulled towards the dark side, being manipulated towards the dark side. But when uh, Mace Windu was fighting with the Chancellor, Mm -hmm. when he said, you know, he's too powerful to let live, he controls the courts, etc., etc., I have to execute him right here, right now. That seemed to be one tipping point too many. And Anakin was, nope, you just proved yourself the bad guy. Even though the Chancellor was in the midst of telling him a lie and proved a lie two seconds later. Had... Anakin already been told by the uh, uh, by Palpatine he was uh, uh, Darth, uh, not a Sith at that point. He knew that Palpatine was a Sith, and uh, Palpatine was using that to claim, "I can help you save Padme." Right. Okay. So yeah, it, no, because um, what happens with Windu at the end uh, pretty much takes him out of the picture at that point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know it, from from just walking into the room situation. Mm-hmm. You know, Windu looks a little crazy. He does. But However, knowing everything mm-hmm. we already know and have been told about Palpatine at this point, mm-hmm. you should expect him to play the situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and Palpatine is sitting there saying, I'm too weak to defend myself. When Anakin steps in to help him defend himself, it's actually Palpatine that kills Mace Windu. Yeah. Well, and the change in um, look for Palpatine at that point. Mm-hmm. And then how that was, uh, he addresses that as he's uh, declaring himself emperor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I've been scarred and disfigured and stuff by this this attack on me. You know, he's playing the victim. Yeah. And it's at the point where he should be giving up his power, but there's nobody left to challenge him. And he's been attacked again. I mean, he's, again, gotten popular opinion on his side. Yeah. It reminds me of one of the things I read, and I forget where it's, you know, one of those apocryphal things that, you know, with these sorts of stories, the the best plan for the person in charge is to basically have, you know, somebody run into the town square every couple of months shouting, I am the savior, I'm the savior, getting a band of people together and getting slaughtered. Because it, it, well, it won't work this time. It never does. You know, it's uh, having the, the straw man to knock down. Mm-hmm. And... You've got the prophecies, you've got all that kind of stuff going on. It's just, there's a certain, I mean, it, this movie sold me on why it took nearly 20 years for, for Yoda and Obi-Wan to really do anything. Because the Jedi were soundly defeated. Yes, yes. I mean, it was a, it was a crushing defeat. And Obi-Wan spent that time doing something. Yes, yeah, and I thought, you know, that, I liked that. I mean, it sounded small, but it was important. But this movie leaves open the possibility for the fu- the, the future trilogy of actual other surviving Jedi Knights, mm-hmm. but more importantly, a uh, Council of Elders kind of thing of Qui-Gon and some of these other things, uh, characters coming back or at least being all able to offer advice. Mm-hmm. Advice from the Force, if you will. You know, so the Jedi Order may be dead, but not gone. Yeah. And I'm really curious where the Sith are at, where the Jedi are at, and I've mentioned it before, in this future trilogy. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we see the the high point of the Jedi here. Mm-hmm. Uh, really the high point of, of the Sith uh, throughout all these movies. Um, and it makes me wonder if by the end of the last trilogy... 
could we really have balance in the force? And what on on earth would that look like? Because I, I still don't know. Would it be an end of the empire, a return of democracy, the Senate back in place and actually functioning? One would hope we would have gotten that as of the end of, of the, the original trilogy. I mean, the question is, has time elapsed? Has the, the Republic been rebuilt and re-corrupted? Mm. Is this an endless cycle? Yeah. You know, there's just a lot of ways it can go. Mm -hmm. Is it time for another re small rebellion? And on which side? Yeah. Um, one of the other things I thought was kind of fun in this movie was Anakin's uh, lightsaber either getting destroyed, getting lost, Obi-Wan even losing his for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had this image at one point of uh, Anakin's quarters. You know how some people have a place for their keys or whatever? Mm-hmm. There's a hook on the wall there that has, you know, from the first time he lost his, got it, his lightsaber cut in half, you know, Obi-Wan putting it there, let this be a reminder. <laughs> yes. And then over the years, it's like he's going to need bigger quarters because he's got so many partial things hanging from, from dead lightsabers. Yeah. Because it seems like, again, it's a recurring thing. He knew how to build one because he'd done it so often. Yeah. Um. So there's there's a lot of of backstory that's very well hinted at and implied by just the reactions characters have, the the subtle comments they make here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love it when the dialogue can give that kind of backstory and depth to a world. Mm-hmm. And it's not exposition. It's like, oh, not again. You know, kind of, well, oh, it's happened, you know? Yeah. Um, or I hate it when he does that and, you know, when uh, uh, Anakin dove out in the other film of the uh, the speeder. It's... It, it makes the characters feel more real, the world that much richer. Yeah. So, and, and again, once again, like I said, the effects on this were just beautifully done. Um, we had a number of, of virtual uh, characters and stuff uh, that are done flawlessly. Um, number of hologram characters in the uh, Jedi Council when they were reporting in from where they were. What got me with that is at one point... Yoda is on the Wookiee planet reporting in, and his cane doesn't seem to get picked up by the hologram. That's funny. I didn't notice that. I noticed that two of the Wookiees were just standing there watching, because apparently it wasn't a closed session. Yeah. But what struck me with the cane not being there was in the previous film, when Obi-Wan is sending back a message and it starts getting shot at by a, a, a droid that walks into frame. Yeah. You know, it's not even like these things have an intelligent uh, camera to follow them or something. Yeah. And there was a comment in one of the films about, well, if droids could think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they can react. There, there's ambiguous limits as to what they can and can't do. Yeah. Which brings us to another character here of General Grievous. Yes. Uh, we start the film with him having taken uh, Palpatine prisoner um, and get some just amazing fight sequences with uh, lightsabers and whatnot. And Grievous is, was a living creature, but is now like encased in a droid body or something. It's really unclear to me what he is or was. Which in some respects might have been foreshadowing of what was to happen to Darth Vader. That's true. That's true. Um, just kind of the life-saving, in quotes, technology that the Sith have. And, I mean, he was another one of uh, the pawns of Palpatine. Yeah. What gets me with that character is it was so 
different and interesting, uh, a very, again, spindly kind of a creature, set of arms that could then split into two to do a dual wielding lightsaber. That was a brilliant uh, uh, Mm -hmm. design. At Comic-Con a couple of years back, it might have been a decade ago now, I forget when, I saw somebody cosplaying General Grievous. See, that just amazes me. It was brilliant. The best (laughs) cosplay I think I've ever seen. The cloak would help. They were in the cloak. Yeah. So the the whole black cape thing is where they were. And then Grievous was like a puppet in front of them kind of a deal. Nice. It was unbelievably inventive. It just looked cool and was um, surprisingly effective. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a character that's like, how could you cosplay that? It's like, yeah, people will figure it out. Very true. Um, and again, just a, a very interesting uh, character to have in it and a, a fun way to start the film. Mm-hmm. You know, we start with, with two ships flying and they're going up near a uh, one of the big star destroyers. And I'm like, oh, attack, you know, start attack run or whatever, just kind of joking around. And then, of course, they pivot down. There's a big fight beneath them or whatever well and then when anakin arrives down on the planet we get a line of dialogue that gives a actual and good reason for why palpatine held himself hostage if you will Mm. it was basically to get anakin back to the 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 main planet and amidala both and amidala together but it made me wonder how long they'd been apart me too uh clearly it had been a little bit of time but you know uh anakin was saying oh it's been a lifetime or whatever and technically that was probably true given the shape uh amidala was in now being pregnant but if she had at least come back if it's only been so many weeks yeah uh, again that would have been helpful yeah well and the dialogue within the movie pointed out what we had already commented on of anakin was surrounded by mentors yes most of whom didn't trust him or the one that claimed to trust him was actually manipulating him, I'd say, at all times. Absolutely. Palpatine was definitely manipulating him. And that, again, is the difference between um, Anakin and, and Luke. Luke having that circle of friends. Anakin having to live up to expectations. Having the pressure of being the chosen one. Not measuring up to any of the, the, the elder Jedi. And always seeming to be held back. Often for his own good and the good mm. of the galaxy, but that's he's not he, he can't see that. Mm-hmm. Well, and having the pressure of the prophecy, the ambiguous prophecy. Yes, yes. Yeah, it. Uh, he would have been better off if the prophecy had never been associated with him. Mm-hmm. And Yoda's point about his fears seemed to be that every time he reacted based on his fears, he fell closer to the dark side. Padme was where she was, got hurt, and lost the will to live, all because he went towards the dark side in reaction to his fears. You could argue that was a self-fulfilling prophecy with his dreams about Padme. You cannot argue that with his mother. If he'd actually done something about it, he could have saved her. But would he still have killed all those people, which was a step towards the dark side, killing our vengeance. It also comes down to why did the Tuscan Raiders attack and, and grab his mother? Yeah. You know, there's implications that, you know, they were put up to that by either Dooku or somebody. Yeah. So there's, but the, with that kind of stuff, you really got to read into the material because a lot of that material is just not yeah. there. Yeah. And you can theorize, oh, well, clearly it was this. It's like, no, it's not clear. Yeah. Until this movie, 
while it was strongly hinted at and heavily implied that Palpatine and the Emperor were the same person, they could have been brothers. Yeah. You know, they could have been cousins. They could have been totally different people. Twins separated at birth. Somebody disguising themselves. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, or not even disguising himself, given how the Emperor tended to look. So it's some it's stuff that seems obvious in hindsight, but going in, you could you can read it multiple ways. And I try to keep an open mind on some of the stuff. It's like, yeah, it's probably this, but you know, it could be that. Yeah. I think this did a good job setting up the previous generation of stuff for the original trilogy. We're now going to get roughly a generation later. Mm-hmm. You know what's going on with the future trilogy and stuff, and I'm I'm excited about that. I'm very curious about that. Uh, I'm also looking forward to the in between films because my understanding is it's going to be part one of the trilogy, another movie that's not part of the trilogy, uh, following on a year by year basis. So part one of trilogy one year, next year not part of a tril- the trilogy, just standalone. Next year second part of the trilogy, then a standalone, then the third part. And then who knows? Because they don't want to confuse me as a viewer at all. I think they'll have the naming pretty clear. But it allows them to explore other areas and mm-hmm. possibly other time frames. Mm-hmm. Um, I would expect the the trilogy to focus again on another Skywalker, continue that kind of family arc um, and see how that goes. And uh, X-Wing Squadron, uh, a lot of things like that. Boba Fett could be done for uh, uh, Kenobi, for that matter, uh, for the standalone films. But it's just, this is a a really rich narrative universe. It's a a great bunch of films. All of them are really good, in some cases, in different ways. Yeah. Um, There's an aspect of, of this trilogy that I like better for the effects, for the scope, the narrative focus. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's an aspect of the original trilogy that I think has a little bit more purer storytelling and more classical uh, uh, arc or whatever, and a more personal storytelling. Well, the first movie of the original trilogy you summed up as A Hero's Journey, and I would call this final movie of the prequel trilogy almost the opposite kind of Kind of, of a story. villain's journey, yeah. Yeah. And in a way, I liked it for the same reason. I liked that hero's journey because I wanted to know how Anakin became Darth Vader. If I had no attachment to the Skywalker family, if I had no investment in understanding how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, but also why Luke Skywalker believed there was good in him. Well, this movie worked because we'd gotten to know young Anakin. We'd gotten to know Ben Kenobi. We'd gotten to know Yoda. We'd gotten to know Mm -hmm. uh, the Chancellor gotten to know Padme, and we knew how things played out a generation later. Mm-hmm. You know, if if none of that was known, this were just a standalone film. It'd be great action and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, what's the big deal? The, the guy goes bad. He was the villain of the piece. Exactly. And it's hard to come out feeling good about yourself for enjoying a movie all about a villain. Well, it would have been, I was going to say, played up as, as like an Obi-Wan movie or whatnot, but- even so, the entire Jedi Order falls. It's a you know, it, it's a downer movie. Yeah, I mean, the whole trilogy is. Yeah, less so with the first, but that's part of why the first of these feels a little out of step with the other two. Well, this movie is about Obi Wan's greatest failures. Yeah, of which he has quite a few. Yeah, I mean, sad to say, and it ends with him 
being sent off to learn how to commune with his mentor, which really shouldn't be possible, but with the Force, all things are possible. And an awful lot of hiding going on. Yeah. Um, again, between the previous movie and this one was the whole Clone Wars series, uh, which I've seen some of and is, is fun. It was well done, uh, animated effects. Um, and having that kind of war series, action adventure series able to happen in the middle of this trilogy, I think, is good. Mm. But again, you, you wind up at the end of this with, you know, the, the, the Empire may be a kind of a sucky place to go live. Yeah. It makes you glad the original trilogy exists and that you can view that as the end of the story. Yeah, but even so, you've got 15 years of a small rebellion forming and fighting and, and not getting anywhere. Yeah, you you got to view another six hours worth of movies to get your relatively happy ending. I guess my point is it takes 20 years of of in-story time for things to happen, mm -hmm. either to conquer the galaxy or to unconquer the galaxy. I dare you to unconquer the galaxy. Well, it makes me wonder what's going to have happened in the maybe 20 years since Very true. the other tri the original trilogy and the future one. Yeah. Um, or the final one, I should say. Hopefully, I don't know. Maybe it's the final third one. How about that? We'll go there. Because, <laughs> I mean, if it, if it, if it works. Mm-hmm. And you've got a story to tell for a fourth trilogy. What the hell? Why not? Mm -hmm. It's it's too popular and accepted of a franchise to just say, yeah, we're just doing these couple and then we're putting it to bed forever. Yeah, no, it's I agree. Just not going to happen. Yeah, there's always room for more quality Star Wars stories. So anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.